we are in a series in the book of 1 John called In the Light. If you missed last week's message, let me encourage you to go back and find it this week and watch it. Uh, we had a special guest teaching pastor, a good friend of mine, Nick Person. He did a fantastic job. And again, if you're just jumping in and you're new, what we're doing each week is just picking it up or where we've left off the previous week. And the title of the series is In the Light, but the title of today's message is a warning. Because as we look in the passage today, what we're gonna see is just that. And anytime you go through a book of the Bible, the text is really going to dictate for you what you talk about. And one of the great things about going through a book of the Bible is that sometimes it forces you to talk about things that otherwise you probably wouldn't have studied. And that might be the category that we're gonna look into today. In fact, we might at some points in the message today feel a little bit more like seminary than a sermon. Now, that's not the intent. It's just a little bit more the subject matter and the direction it's going to take us. But I wanna make sure that we're clear. All of this is under the umbrella of a warning. So I am going to eventually get to three applications and I cannot stress the word eventually enough, right? So just hang with me. In fact, point number one is very long. I gotta tell you that because at the end of point number one, if I haven't told you, you're gonna feel very discouraged. You're gonna be like, we're never gonna get out of here, okay? So point number one, is that was actually really funny and all of you should have laughed, okay? <laughs> Thank you, all right, hurt my feelings already. Here we go, so point number one is long, and then we'll get to the next two and hopefully see some things we can apply to our lives today. So let's jump in. Verse 18, starting in chapter two of 1 John. John says, dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, and this is how we know it's the last hour. So he's saying last hour, first century, we're in the 21st century. It seems like he contradicts himself because he says the Antichrist is coming, but also many Antichrists, plural, have already come. So we're gonna unpack that today and try to see how both of those things are actually true. Verse 19, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. Some of the early folks that they thought were believers. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained in us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? Now he's gonna circle back around to this seed he planted earlier about the Antichrist and different Antichrists. It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ, such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. So this is kind of our first passage. Again, we've got three to look at today, and we kind of said a lot there. So what I wanna do is I kind of created a few bullet points. And so let's look at these bullet points because they really summarize what we just talked about in this first passage. I wanna make sure we're all on the same page. He says, the Antichrist is coming, many Antichrists have come. So what does that mean? Well, there are those who are forerunners of the Antichrist who have the spirit of the Antichrist. Now this phrase, spirit of the Antichrist, is not in the passage we just read. It shows up later. So later in 1 John, he's going to use the phrase spirit of the Antichrist, referring back to the passage we're studying today. But I wanted to go ahead and use it today because I think it will help provide some clarity. So just to be sure we're on the same page. Antichrist, one person, we'll talk about that in a second. And then there are many Antichrist forerunners that carry with them the spirit of the Antichrist. Now, what is the spirit of the Antichrist? It is whoever denies that Jesus, don't miss this, is the Christ. The deity of Jesus is what we're talking about today, okay? Jesus is both fully God and fully man. There's no one like Jesus, there are none beside him. 
And one of the things that Satan has always put at the top of his agenda is to get people to question the deity of Jesus Christ, okay? If, if the deity of Jesus Christ can be called into question, if someone can begin to perpetuate a lie that convinces people to believe that Jesus wasn't both fully God and fully man, then the foundation of Christianity crumbles. This is the issue, which is why Satan has always had a plan to try to lead God's people astray. And so we're gonna talk about both of those things. Let me start by talking first about the Antichrist, okay? So grab a pen, I'm gonna tell you the name. I'm kidding, we're not gonna do that, all right? I'm not gonna tell you who the Antichrist is. Some of y'all, y'all go, whoa, hey, what? Okay, I know, I know some of you think you dated the Antichrist in college, but that wasn't it, okay? Wasn't him, okay? So, well, I get some stories from that line, all right. You tell me at the block party today, that'll be fun. So, um, John is the only person in the Bible that uses the term Antichrist. He uses it five times, Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Revelation. But I don't want you to think that just because John is the only one who uses the word Antichrist, that he's the only person that speaks to this in the Bible. And so one of my mentors, Dr. Elmer Towns, identified uh, 30 different names and titles of the Antichrist from Scripture. And uh, we're not going to read all of these, but you can see it kind of covers a broad range of God's Word. We see the Antichrist referred to in the book of Psalms, our Old Testament prophets like Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. We get into the New Testament. Second Thessalonians calls him the man of sin, the son of perdition. Obviously, in the book of Revelation, which can we just stop here for a second? Revelation does not have an S on it, okay? It is Revelation. <laughs> In fact, we're all gonna say it together on three. One, two, three. Revelation. I still heard it. <laughs> old, it's old habits. They die hard, okay? They die hard. <laughs> but we see the book of Revelation obviously speak to the Antichrist, the lawless one, the angel of the bottomless pit. And Antichrist is, is something that I think is, is intriguing. It's worth studying. The whole idea of end times eschatology. So, so let's kind of, again, just foundationally, who is it when we talk about the Antichrist? Just kind of three summation points taken directly from an article written by Pastor Danny Aiken. He will be given power and authority from Satan. He will be worshiped as a God and the whole world will marvel as they follow him and his reign of terror will not last. So God's word says the Antichrist will perform what appear to be miraculous acts. It will attract a large following. It will be a reign of terror. It will not be for long, and it'll be unlike anything the world has ever seen. Now, some Christians read the New Testament and believe that the Antichrist has actually already happened in the first century and that the Antichrist was Nero. Now, I personally don't believe that. If you do, we can still have fellowship with Jesus. I don't think that's a reason we can't love each other. But I think the passages about the Antichrist are prophetic in nature. I don't think the Antichrist has yet come. Uh, an interesting question for you to discuss sometimes with your friends is, does Satan have to have an Antichrist ready for every age? Or is there one Antichrist? Because see, Satan is not omniscient. He's not all-knowing. So it's a really interesting topic to pursue. And, and the most important thing for us to know is that God's word says that this will happen. We can see from history, some people were doing things very similar to the Antichrist. Hitler comes to mind with his ideology and with the Holocaust. But, but the Antichrist has not yet happened. 
And John's writing these things in the last hour in the first century, we are in the 21st century. And I would encourage you, make this a topic of study. Find reputable authors that you can read and that you can study and spend time in God's word, even the parts of God's word that are difficult to understand. But might I suggest that the church's not obsession, but really higher interest in the Antichrist over the years has blinded us perhaps from the second warning of this passage, which speaks to the spirit of the Antichrist. The many Antichrists, lowercase, plural. And the truth for us to wrestle with today and be confronted with today and maybe even be uncomfortable with today is that for the last 2,000 years, let me be very clear, Satan has used individuals and he continues to use individuals to serve his purposes. And his purpose is to question the deity of Jesus Christ. And there are those who are literally in the use of Satan today, calling into question the deity of Jesus Christ. And here's what they are doing, perpetuating the spirit of the Antichrist. And church, if we don't call these things out when we see them, how are we serving our children? How are we serving our grandchildren? So what I wanna do is I wanna spend some time talking about the spirit of the Antichrist because I think that that is what we really need to be more on guard with today because when we know what we're looking for, we recognize that we'll see it all the time. And what I wanna do is I wanna show you how the historical denial of Jesus Christ and the deity of Jesus Christ very much matches the modern day denials of Jesus Christ. Now, here's why this matters. Every now and then, okay, somebody will come along and they'll say something and it sounds brand new. It sounds like, wow, they must be super smart. They have a YouTube channel. They're, they're saying things to make me question my faith. And what I wanna show you is nothing is new, nothing new is, there's nothing new under the sun. They're just recycling old ideas. And so we're gonna show the old idea and then maybe show how we can spot it today. Again, spirit of the Antichrist. So the first one I wanna share with you is something called Ebionism. Now, I know you woke up this morning, so I hope we hear about Ebionism in church this morning, okay? So I get it, hang with me. It's a first century heresy that rejected the virgin birth. Don't miss that, first century. While John's writing this in the mid to late 80s, early 90s of the first century, this is already starting. Jesus wasn't born of a virgin. Jesus, that's, that's Joseph the carpenter's son. And, and, and he was born out of wedlock. I don't know if I've heard. There were already rumors about Jesus's birth. There were already attempts to somehow dismantle the truth of the virgin birth because if the virgin birth goes away, we got some, some questions we have to answer. So this was one of the false teachings. Now, about a decade ago, an author came along and at the time he was pastoring a church, he's no longer pastoring a church because he kind of lost his way, so to speak. And, and he wrote something that, that, I, that I'm kind of hesitant to share because I don't want it to seem like I'm drawing undue attention to it, but, but I'm gonna share it because I want you to be on guard and to be on your watch for when you come across things because it can seem like somebody's being incredibly clever when really all they're being is a tool of Satan, okay? Yes, I said it. So let me show you the quote here. Rob Bell, 2012. If you found out that Jesus had an earthly father named Larry and they find Larry's tomb, do DNA samples and prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that the virgin birth was really just a bit of mythologizing, could you still be a Christian? People read that and went, wow. Isn't he smart? No. He led people astray. Now, I'm not trying to take a personal shot at him, but he was used by the enemy. 
And we've got to be on our guard for when somebody tries to package an old idea in a new way that might seem appealing to see it for what it is. It's an old heresy that Satan's been using for 2,000 years. It's the spirit of the Antichrist. Let me give you a second one we're gonna look at today. It's called Arianism. This came about in the fourth century and it was this idea that God can't share his attributes of deity with anyone else. Only God, the Father, is eternal. And this false belief, this heresy, sounded something like this. Jesus is a great guy, but the idea that he's been around from the beginning, the idea that he's eternal, that's not true at all. And so this was a heresy. Let me show you the most modern interpretation that we see of this particular heresy. It's from Jehovah's Witnesses. Now again, I'm not taking a shot at them personally, they've been deceived, 1870. Jesus never claimed to be on the same level as Almighty God. This is taken directly from their doctrine. Yes, he did, that's why they put him on a cross. Over and over, Jesus equated himself with God the Father. He is like no other, he is eternal. We see that all over God's word. Let me give you the last kind of a false heresy we're gonna look at today. Second century, denies the preexistence of Christ. Jesus was simply a man who was rewarded with supernatural powers after being tested by God. Now, it can be easy to confuse this one with Arianism, so let's talk about the differences. The difference here is similar that Jesus wasn't eternal, but the difference is focusing on how then did he do all this great stuff? And this false belief would say, well, God took notice. Jesus was someone special, so God bestowed special gifts on him, which is why he was able to do miraculous things, and we should certainly pay attention to him and learn from him, but he is not a deity. Now, the reason why this one is so dangerous is this belief is foundationally what opens the door for other religions. So again, I'm being sensitive to the fact that we all have friends that are from different backgrounds, but if you study world religions, the founder of these world religions would never claim deity. They never claimed to be one with the Father, but what the believers and the followers of those religions would tell you is that their founder did have special gifts, special knowledge, special insight, received a special word from God, recorded that in whatever holy book they prefer, and, and, and they're not against Jesus, which is why this becomes tricky. Because they will say really wonderful things about Jesus, but Jesus is just one in the line of many who receive special gifts, special revelations for God. Do you see the slippery slope that we are now on? And the foundation of this, again, is this old idea of adoptionism. Now, I could have chosen thousands of people who use this in their line of thought, but I just chose one because she's someone that we all know, and um, she shapes a lot of people's perspectives. And again, I'm not taking a shot at these individuals. I'm just pointing out the deception that can take place. But Oprah said this, there are millions of ways to be a human being and many paths to what you call God. Well, I am a Christian who believes that there are certainly many more paths to God other than Christianity. It's just adoptionism repackaged in a new way. So let me give you the application I wanna challenge you to jot down today from this first passage of scripture. Reject anything that doesn't affirm that Jesus was both fully God and fully man. It's rejected. Now, I'm not saying don't read it. You need to educate yourself. I mean, don't bury your head in the sand. Be able to participate in conversations with people who believe differently than you and do it with love, do it with compassion, and do it with grace. But don't let those beliefs shape you. 
don't take them to heart. I mean, students, you know, you're gonna run into people all the time. They're gonna have different beliefs than you. And, and, and God has you in their life for a reason, to be a light to them. And you can participate in the discussions and they can maybe even make a few good points, but foundationally, we reject anything that strips Jesus of both his humanity and his deity of God's son. This was a challenge in the first century. John couldn't have imagined the challenge that we would face in the 21st century. But he continues, verse 23. No one who denies the son has the father. Whoever acknowledges the son has the father also. I love this. I love that in one sentence, John has God the father and God the son. He keeps them together. He doesn't give us the option of separating them. Verse 24, as for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the son and in the father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. And so Jesus promised us eternal life through God the Father. So here's the second application I want you to dot down. We're gonna spend some time talking about this. You can't know God if you don't know Jesus. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. You can't know God if you don't know Jesus. Now, why does this matter? Because our world and our culture tries to separate the two. It was happening in the first century. In fact, most of our society and culture is super comfortable with God as long as you keep it ambiguous. As long as you don't specify who you mean by God. Now, every now and then, you'll meet somebody who is a you know, devout atheist, and, and, and we all understand that. But for the most part, people appreciate somebody giving a head nod to something upstairs, some kind of power, something other than them. I mean, you watch a football game, and whoever scores the game-winning touchdown, if he thanks God in the interview after the game, everybody goes, man, what a great guy. What a great guy. He's so godly. One time, I just wanna see somebody thank God for the defeat, just once. Just go to the losing locker room and go, I just wanna thank God for letting us lose today. I just wanna see that one time, right? Hasn't happened yet, okay? I'm gonna hold out hope, okay? John, you can write a song that has nothing about God, not you personally, but like an artist, okay? See this all the time in these award shows. They write these songs. The lyrics have nothing to do with God, probably opposed to the things of God, they win an award, they get up on stage, and they thank God for the award. And everybody applauds. So our culture has a certain comfort level with God until you name him. Until you say his name's Jesus. Until you put Jesus as equal with God. Until you say there is none like Jesus. Here we go. When you say Jesus is the only way to God. We can clap in here. <laughs> we do it out there, it doesn't go so well. That's when you get called names. Narrow-minded and everything else. But see, the most loving thing we can do is actually offer that level of clarity. See, I don't want God to be like me. If God is like me, then I don't need God. I like the fact that God is holy and righteous and just. And he's big. He created everything, even things we can't see. See, if, if I can manage God, if, if God becomes palatable, if God becomes comfortable, then all of a sudden we're no longer talking about God. 
God is infinite, and I am not. God is so much other than me, and God can can seem so distant because of that vastness. And see, here's the real truth for all of us. If God is actually that, and I believe he is, and if God is really that holy, and if God is really that righteous, and if God is really that just, then you are in big trouble and so am I. Because we are none of those things. We are all sinners by nature and choice and unable to be in the presence of a holy, righteous God. But don't miss this. God did not let that stop him from loving you. To the extent that he sacrificed his only son for you. He wasn't going to let that keep him from you. And there are a lot of people, maybe even in this room, maybe even join us online, who think they know God and they may just know about God. You, you may think you know Jesus. And, and lovingly, if I could just challenge you for a few minutes. There are a lot of people who think because they know some things about Jesus, they can tell you the Christmas story and actually remember the wise men. Like they can tell you some things. Like, yeah, they can tell you the Easter story, tell you the people who were there. And if you're three for three, you're like, I got Christmas, I got Easter. If you get this story, I mean, let's go. If you can name three miracles of Jesus, right? Like I can do that. He turned water into wine. Isn't that the one we always start with, right? Yeah, yeah. God bless our savior. Turned water into wine. Walked on water. Fed the 5,000 especially if you grew up in the South. You know a few things about Jesus. Might I suggest you may know about Jesus, you may just not know Jesus. See, biblically speaking, knowing Jesus doesn't mean you've memorized a few stories about him. Knowing Jesus means you have gotten to a place in your life where you recognize your need for him. Now, here's why this is so hard. Because everything about our world tells you you're enough. That when you face life's challenges, you just need to look within and you just need to find the answer. Hey church, that's a lie. Because if you could look within and find the answer, God would have never needed to send his son Jesus, okay? We cannot be the solution to our problem. Jesus is. And see, knowing Jesus means you just come to a place in your life where you recognize that and you agree with that. You submit yourself to that. And then by grace through faith, you receive the free gift of salvation that he's offered to you. And when you come to a place in your life and you, you make that decision and then you go public with your faith to let everybody know, like the people we saw today, that you have made that decision. See, that's what it means to know Jesus. And listen, you may have known some people over the years that knew Jesus, they just didn't act like it, okay? I get it, I get it. Those of us who are Christ followers have pushed a lot of people away from Jesus over the years. We have to own that. But let me tell you why that's happened. Because we're just as much a mess today as the day we met Jesus. But here's what's remarkable. He doesn't see us that way. God looks at us and says, you're perfect through my son, Jesus Christ, and gives us the Holy Spirit to help us grow in those areas of our life that continue to hold us back. So we don't have it all together. We're not perfect. We've just placed our faith and trust in a perfect savior. But you can't know the God of the universe unless you know through salvation, his son, Jesus Christ. Let's wrap up our passage for today. Verse 26, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you 
and you don't need anyone to teach you. There were teachers that were trying to lead these new believers astray. John's giving them a warning about these individuals. But just as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it taught you, remain in him. So when we talk about the anointing here, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. So let me give you the third application I want you to jot down this morning. Reject any teacher that doesn't point you to the same Jesus that the Holy Spirit points you to. We used to say, reject any teacher that doesn't point you to Jesus, but now Jesus has been cast in so many different perspectives, we gotta give this clarifier that if you're listening to anyone teach, including me, and they are not pointing you to the same Jesus that the Holy Spirit points you to, you don't need to let that person be a voice in your life anymore, okay? Now here's the joy and the hope of this passage. If you're a Christ follower, you already have everything you need with the Holy Spirit. Did you know that one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to enlighten you, to enlighten your heart, to enlighten your mind to the things of God, to God's word. And so let me just challenge you. If you're a Christ follower, every time before you read God's word, say, Holy Spirit, speak to me. Speak to me. Before you come into this room to worship with God's people, Holy Spirit, speak to me. Some of you, the Holy Spirit's been speaking to in this service. Can I tell you what that feels like? Recognizing that you don't know Jesus. See, the Holy Spirit is like a spotlight on Jesus. For those of us who walk with Jesus, the Holy Spirit helps us grow in our understanding of Jesus. For those of you who are not yet followers of Jesus, it's the Holy Spirit that begins to, here's the word, convict. You may have thought you knew Jesus and the Holy Spirit showing you, you just know about him. And if that's you today, can I encourage you to respond by faith? You don't have to wait till you have it all figured out. You don't have to wait till you have it all together. For some of you, it's, it's a very challenging thing to be confronted with because you're actually a pretty decent person. You've done a lot of good things in your life. So the idea of humbling yourself and admitting that you need to be saved is incredibly challenging. But might I encourage you to submit to that conviction? See, some of you have been told that there's a lot of things in your life you need to repent from. And that if you'll repent from those sins, you can experience the forgiveness offered to the cross. I understand that sentiment But biblically speaking, that wording is off. See, you don't repent so that you can be forgiven. You repent because you've already been forgiven. God's not holding your sin against you. Jesus already paid the price for that. In fact, your sin is no longer what keeps you from God. The only thing that keeps you from God right now is a lack of belief in his son, Jesus Christ, and accepting by faith what he did for you, for your salvation. Would you bow your head with me this morning? Just in this moment, if that's you, it's not the words you say, it's the condition of your heart, but to give some words to maybe what's going on in your heart, you just pray right where you're seated. Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner.
I admit my need for you. I'm tired of going my own way. I believe you paid the price for my sin on the cross. And I wanna ask you to come into my life and save me. I wanna confess you as my Savior and Lord. And because of the forgiveness that I experience in you, I wanna turn from my old life and I wanna walk a new path. I wanna be made new, not just in my identity, but in my actions as well. I'm the only one up here looking. Everybody's heads are bowed and everybody's eyes are closed. But just so I can pray for you this week, if you just prayed that prayer, would you mind just kind of slipping your hand up just so I can pray for you this week? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Jesus, sometimes your word can, it can make us uncomfortable. It can challenge us. It can point out the heartbreak that we feel when we know so many people have been deceived. And Lord, we're not often sure what to do about that. And so I just pray that this week as, as we go into our communities and into our neighborhoods and into our workplace and onto the practice fields and all of the different places that you strategically place us in that you would help us to see people the way you see them. That every person we encounter was a person you went to the cross for. And you don't want them to walk around unaware of what you did for them. So Lord, would you use us? Lord, would you empower us with your Holy Spirit so that we're not attempting to live for you on our own? And so Lord, we thank you for that. What a beautiful day to be with your people and to be in your word. And we thank you for all of that in your name. Amen.